sometimes when you're in a job that's not right for you, you start to get really clear about what is it that's important to you, what is right for you. And sometimes we do have to do jobs that we don't like in order to really realize what it is we really want to do and what's so important to us and what are those key motivators and what are those key values that are so important to us. So every bad experience, you can turn it on its head and turn it into a great learning experience. Are you searching for your ideal career, fed up of your daily grind, or simply want to hear some inspiring stories? Then you've come to the right place, because it's time to do a job you love. It's time to get work savvy. Welcome to the Get Work Savvy podcast. I hope that you're well, and I'm so glad that you tuned in for episode 23. This is the show that brings you tips, tricks, and advice from those people who've been able to find or create a job to suit them. If you are new, then hi, my name's Liam Gardner. I'm an e-product manager working for a national training provider in the UK. Now, I'm lucky that I can say that I really do love what it is that I do, but it hasn't always been like that. So whether you're here because you're looking for some inspiration before you start your career journey, whether you're currently in a job that you feel a bit lost and really unmotivated about, or if you're like me and you're curious about what others consider their dream job to be, then you're in the right place. Each week, we interview a new guest from a wide range of different industries. We share with you their story and most importantly, the valuable advice they're able to provide us every single week. Now, it's so easy to miss some of that advice sometimes. So at the end of each episode, I share with you my key takeaways that you can use to get work savvy. And if it is that you think I've missed something obvious, then why not let me know on the Facebook or Twitter handles at Get Work Savvy. This week, we talked to Anthea, and we'll get to the interview portion in just a second. But something that she did bring up was how important it was to have a positive mindset. And I think that's so right. It's so easy for us to be sucked into a negative atmosphere, whether that be social media, whether it be negative family members or people that you work with. Just remember to take the best from each situation you find yourself in and try and think of the positives. Easier said than done, I know, but listening to Anthony's episode and she shares with us some tips, tricks and advice that she's found to help her do that. If you do like the episode, then why not consider subscribing to get a new episode every single Monday? Leave a rating and review if you've got the time. And equally, if you think this episode will bring somebody else value, then I'd love for you to share it in any way you can. So without any further delay, let's listen to Amphi's story. And don't forget, I'll speak to you at the end of the show, where I'll share with you the key takeaways to help you get work savvy. So hi to Amphia and welcome to the Get Work Savvy podcast. How are you doing today? Hi Liam, I'm doing really well, thanks. Excellent. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. For those people who are listening and who aren't aware of the fantastic work that you do, could you just give a short description about what it is that you do? Yes. So I run my own business. It's a learning and development business. And basically what I do is I help individuals, managers, teams be the best version of themselves at work, whether that's through running training and development, individual coaching, or helping businesses put in place people processes that help build employee engagement. Absolutely fantastic. And what I normally ask people, and I'm sure that you might well be the same, but is this what you imagined doing when you grew up? No, no. When I was a kid, dad was a doctor and my mum was a nurse, and I always imagined I was going to be a nurse when I was a kid. Certainly not running my own business and probably certainly didn't even think about the world of leadership and management, development and coaching. In fact, I don't even think coaching was a thing that we even did. It was sports coaching back when I was a kid. So no, I'm living the dream now, but certainly wasn't something I thought about when I was younger. No. Excellent. How far did you go down the nursing route? I went as far as doing a week's work experience when I was about 16 and thinking this is not for me. 
and to be honest, my dad had been trying to put me off it for a long, long time. I think he had higher aspirations and knew it was hard work and the pay wasn't brilliant. Yeah. I think he was quite relieved when I said, oh, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do nursing. I need to think of something else. Yeah. The reality often doesn't reflect the glitz and glamour. Yeah. Brilliant. How did you get into this particular world? Obviously, you were doing a fantastic job with helping those who needed a bit of support in kind of that leadership management training or coaching. But how did you develop your skills to be able to move into that world? It's been quite a long journey because when I realized I didn't want to do nursing, I had to decide what did I want to do. And I have this memory of reading a book in which there was somebody who was a child psychologist in this book who did some amazing stuff. And I can't remember what stuff they did, but I remember thinking, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to be a psychologist. And I went to university and I studied a degree in psychology, which I loved. And while I was at university, I did some work experience with the personnel department of a construction firm. And that's how I first got involved in the world of personnel and HR. And I loved that. I loved looking after the apprentices and recruiting apprentices and, and helping out with the training. So when I looked for a job post-university, I decided I was going to apply for personnel management graduate training schemes. And I started off in BT, British Telecom it was at the time. And then five years later, I moved to Cadbury. And I spent my whole corporate career working in a variety of different roles in the field of personnel management or HR. And what happened next, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go and do a, a big project at Mondelez it was called because Cadbury became Kraft at Kraft and became Mondelez. Mm -hmm. It was a big project managing a change program at the big Cadbury dairy milk factory in Bourneville. Because it was a big project and there was a big and there was a massive investment in the factory and we did a massive culture change program. There was a project team put in place to manage the change and at the end of the project you either went and got another job somewhere else in the business or there was an opportunity to take redundancy. And I decided to be brave and take redundancy because I thought this is my time now. I've, I've done loads of different HR things. So I did you know, the HR manager role. I did graduate recruitment. I managed a big team of HR managers. I managed change programs. I didn't actually do very much learning and development. But when I look back, what I loved about all the jobs I did, I always loved the bits where you help people learn and develop and grow and I loved seeing people flourish and I loved seeing people have that sort of aha moment when you teach them something or they realize for themselves that they can do something they couldn't do before and so I thought let's have a go at setting up my own HR learning and development consultancy and do it myself and I always thought that if it didn't work out I could go back into the corporate world and say so that was two years ago and over the last two years I've refined what I do and I do less of the traditional HR stuff now and I do much more of coaching leadership development management development and helping people be really effective in a team role in, in business because that's what I've realized are the bits that I really love doing and those are the bits where you can really help people come alive at work and be the best versions of themselves at work and what I've realized is that when people do come alive at work and are the best version of themselves that's when they really perform well and that's when they're happy and that's when they're creative and more productive so everybody wins so that's what I end up focusing on now absolutely fantastic and that sounds like an absolute brilliant model absolutely fantastic thank you for sharing that Having moved your way up the HR ladder, yep. kind of working through different industries, that's clearly given you a range of different skills and insights. If we kind of think about that field a little bit, what kind of skills would you recommend somebody who might be interested in that area? I guess I've got the skills of working in a big corporate business. So I know 
how corporate businesses work. I know how to get things done. I know about the politics. So there's something around just having worked in the kind of environment where my clients now are all smaller corporate businesses, but I understand the world they're in and some of the pressures they're under. So that's the first thing. The second thing will be I've managed big teams of people. So one of the things I'm really, really passionate about is how do you develop people to be inspiring people managers? So I've got loads of experience of, first of all, being managed by people who I think were really inspirational for me. So I know what good looks like. And I've manage loads of people who tell me that I've made a real difference to them and with my management style. So I've got experience of being on the receiving end of a great manager and I've had feedback that I've been a great manager myself. And then if you lay on top of that, just the general HR skills. So I, I understand how important people are in a business and I get how you motivate and engage them. But I also understand some of the nitty gritty stuff. So I, I know how to recruit and develop. I know the employment law. So I've got a really broad background to pull on that I guess gives me credibility when I'm going into businesses and training their managers on how to be better managers because I bring all of that with me when I'm delivering my own training and when I'm coaching the people that I coach. Absolutely perfect. I think that everyone's been in a training session where they haven't necessarily related to the trainer. Yeah. And I think that having that experience to be able to talk in the same language and to kind of have those experiences that you can explain that you've been through before is only going to help anyone who's thinking about potentially coaching, but especially if it's a niche area that you're looking to do. Yeah, I think that's really, really valuable. And you say, especially with management, thinking about what you consider the good manager of yours in the past, what did they do well, Mm. and then try and emulate that and then perhaps develop your own style. Do you have any tips for people who are perhaps in that management position that you could kind of provide for us today? Yeah, I've got loads of tips, but if I just (laughs) pick a couple of my favorite. Pick your top ones. First, my number one tip for being an inspirational manager or leader is to know yourself well. So to understand what makes you tick as a manager or as a leader, understand what you're good at and what you're not good at, because we all have strengths and development areas. And the more self-aware we are, the more authentic we are. That's my number one tip. And then my number two tip, and this is really, really basic, so many managers forget to do this, is just to show the people that work for you that you care about them as a person. So it's not just about work. It's about get to know them, get to know about their families, their hobbies, get to know them about their lives outside of work as well as inside of work. And because that helps to build rapport and it helps to build trust. And if you do that and you have great relationships and great trust, you can have really honest conversations with people. And when things get tough, when people aren't performing or you've got to do a restructure and you've got to have some really honest conversations about jobs are changing, you have a relationship that helps you have those conversations. And so much of the negative side of HR or the negative side of being a manager and having to deal with conflict can be avoided if managers understand themselves really well and understand their strengths and development areas and how they might be different to other people. And if they've got great relationships with the people that they work with based on trust, those would be my sort of two top tips. That's absolutely brilliant. And I can certainly relate to those. I think having gone into the kind of management world myself, knowing yourself really well and having that confidence and that authenticity, so important. But not only that, with your staff members as well, I remember all the great managers I've had. I've had that personal relationship. I know that I'd work hard for them because they cared about me. So I cared about them. And I then bought into that world a bit easier. So absolutely, that resonates with me. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. So you've climbed the corporate ladder. 
You've seen lots of different areas going from the world of telecommunication with BT to chocolate with Cadbury's. Yeah. Then even moving on to create your own business and, and making a success of that. Looking back over your entire journey then, what would you say to being your biggest challenge? What has kind of been one of the things that kind of you can look back on and think, wow, that was actually much more difficult than I thought? This is really interesting. If you ask me what my biggest challenge has been throughout my career, I would tell you it's my mindset. It's not one particular thing. It's this little voice inside my head. And we've all got a little voice inside our heads. Mm-hmm. But it's the one that used to tell me, and it still does when I let it, but I try not anymore. You can't do that. You're not good enough. You haven't got the right skills. Confidence has probably been my biggest challenge. I have had a really nice career. I've worked my way up the ladder. I've had some really lovely jobs. And when I look back, you know, I used to say to myself, I was just lucky. I was just in the right place at the right time. And actually learning to believe in myself and learning to really, really appreciate the skills I have got, the value I can add. And rather than brushing it away, learning to value myself has probably been the biggest challenge. And I know now I work in the world of what I do in coaching, it's a challenge a lot of people have. There's even a word for it, imposter syndrome, as it's often known as, as people go through their lives thinking some stage someone's going to find out I'm not as good as they think they are. And a lot of people suffer from that. And actually learning that actually having that mindset it was holding me back. You know, I'm still learning, pushing myself up my comfort zone and trying to believe in myself and helping others do that is probably the biggest challenge and the biggest learning I've had. I think that's one that a lot of people will resonate with and perhaps will have had that experience or at least somebody who's shared that with them. Yeah. I know that I've suffered from that myself. I remember coming out of university and one, I come out in kind of the worst banking crisis ever. But two, like I just had real low confidence and thought, oh, no, I'm not good enough to do that. And even when I got my now job, when I first got into the role, I was like, pinching myself and thinking oh no they're going to work out that I'm no good yeah and that I shouldn't be here and it should be somebody else and what do you say to somebody when they come to you with that kind of issue how do you try and change their mindset on that then or what did you do yourself to try and get you out of that so the first thing is to recognize it's not just you that lots and lots of people have that in mindset and so that number one aha moment for me was oh, it's not just me that constantly thinks I'm going to get found out. It's a common thing. And a lot of very, very senior people in very, very important roles have it. And it's quite a natural reaction. That's the first thing that helps. The second thing is to appreciate it's just the way our brain works. We, over time, we've received through our childhood, we received messages that get stuck in our brain. And we, for whatever reason, and I can't, I had a great childhood. So it's something from my childhood would have maybe feel at some point that I wasn't good enough or I that led me to have the lower confidence and I can't put my finger on what it was maybe it was just always wanted to be better than I used to compare myself to other people who knows but some of these messages have been there for a long time and the only way you are going to change those messages is to train your brain to think differently and one of the other areas I do a lot of work on at the moment is in the area of positive psychology I'm really interested in helping people be more resilient, more resourceful and change their thinking because I firmly believe that we have a choice over how we choose to react to things and we can choose to have a negative reaction to tough things in our lives or you can choose a more positive reaction and if you choose a more positive reaction more often your brain starts to think more positively more often because it's creating new habits. So what I'm having to learn to do is to recognize when a negative thought comes into my brain 
I have to recognize to pay no attention and replace it with a positive thought. And it takes time and it takes practice. But gradually, I'm spending less time worrying about what I can't do and more time pushing myself out my comfort zone. And I sort of know now, if I feel the fear, I feel that feeling in my stomach, oh, I can't do that. It's almost like a sign to me, you need to do it because you can do it. And once you've done it, it'll be so rewarding. You'll you'll feel great. So do it, feel the fear, do it anyway. And you'll be rewarded with this fantastic sense of achievement and rush of adrenaline when you actually do it. I can relate exactly to that feeling. Yeah. I think that what I often say to people is, if you're feeling nervous or apprehensive or a little bit scared about something, that's naturally a good thing because that means it means something to you yeah, and that you care about it and just trying to work your way through it and put the doubts to one side, but know that actually it's often a good thing and not necessarily that bad thing. Yeah. What we teach people to do in both the work I do with on in positive psychology, but also in my coaching is you choose people, you, you help people recognize that what they're thinking. So when something happens that triggers them, you get them to really think about what are they thinking and then you get them to ask themselves the question, is that what I'm thinking? Is that actually true? Have I got evidence for it? And it, most of the time, you don't, it's not true. You don't have the evidence for it. So then you say, well, you have to replace that thought then with a more positive thought. Once you replace that thought with a more positive thought, then you can choose a more positive action and you have, have a more positive outcome. So it's, it's teaching people just to be really aware of, first of all, when they have an emotional reaction, what's going on, slowing down their thinking asking themselves is that really really the case is it true do I have evidence and if it's not replace the thought with a with a truthful thought and then make a choice about what you're going to do based on that position of, of, of what's really really true that's sort of the process that I was taught and it really works for me and I teach other people that process excellent and no that's absolutely brilliant and and I think that that's something that everyone should really take on board yeah and work with that as well yeah especially if you are finding yourself in that position yeah and it's perfectly natural. Most people, you know, we all have moments where we, we get angry about something or upset or emotional, or lose confidence. And it's just learning to take a deep breath because also the breathing, what I've learned as well, the breathing helps because, you know, when something happens and the adrenaline kicks in, it, it's uh, your brain is kicking a, a hormone into your body that creates this sort of fight or flight reaction. Yeah. But by breathing, taking a deep breath, counting to 10, it let, lets the adrenaline sort of disperse in your body. And it allows you to calm down. And from that position of calm, you can start thinking, right, okay, what am I really thinking here? What's the truth? What choices do I have? What am I going to do about it? Absolutely fantastic. I think that that's something that I've kind of given advice out on myself, having received it, is just sometimes before you send that quick snapshot email back to reply to somebody, just stepping away, if I can, go outside yeah. And remove yourself from the situation, come back and reflect on it a bit differently yeah. to how you might do in the moment. That's right. We always say that to people, you know, and the first thing is you've got to recognize that you've had an emotional reaction to something. So the first thing to learn is to recognize I'm having an emotional reaction to something. And when you realize that, then you can take a break and people say, well, how can you do that in a meeting? Well, in a meeting, sometimes it's just about writing down what is it you're thinking and feeling before you respond and ask yourself what's really true. Or sometimes it's simple as, you know, if you really have been triggered so much that you feel like you're going to snap, is make an excuse to have a toilet break or go and grab a cup of coffee or go and grab a cup of water. Just break your state and go and do something. Or even standing up and stretching or looking out the window can help. People have to learn what is it they need to do to break them away from that highly emotional state where sometimes we say and do things that we don't actually mean to do or we say and do things we regret later on. 
that's absolute brilliant advice for anyone stuck in the heat at the moment and, yeah. <laughs> and they can't leave the room or yeah. or something like that yeah no I'll have to remember that with any meetings that potentially I have that reaction to yeah just a simple glance out the window or writing it down yeah glance out the window write it down yeah make an excuse for a toilet break whatever just do something to break your state yeah absolutely brilliant I love that I love that thinking about your journey then and you have ultimately made it to the place where you love what you do and that's absolutely fantastic yeah but would you say you'd do anything differently if you were to do it all over again maybe I would have gone back to studies and studied psychology at a higher level so I I did a degree in psychology and when I look back what was covered in the psychology I did because I studied at the end of 1980s beginning of the 1990s a lot of it was abnormal psychology and you know how to fix people who weren't well it's a little bit of stuff about how the brain worked but not really anything around how to help people in the workplace and certainly nothing around this whole new type of psychology positive psychology so if I could do anything differently I might go back and do a master's in occupational psychology or I might go do something study a bit more in positive psychology just because what I've realized now having left the corporate world that I've got a real passion for something I didn't even realize I had and when I think about go back I think well I'm a graduate in psychology but it wasn't necessarily the kind of psychology that really really excites me today so a bit more on that but would I change anything in my career No, I absolutely loved working in HR. I loved working for BT and then Cadbury and Craft and Mondelez. I've loved every experience I've had. There's nothing that I would say I wouldn't want. And I I was really lucky because I was able to balance my career with having two small children. So for a long time, probably a good 15 years, I was allowed to work part time. I'm not saying weird saying allowed, but a lot of people (laughs) don't get that opportunity to work part time. So I working three days a week when my kids were very young too. Even when I left the corporate world a couple of years ago, I was doing four days a week. So I've always had a really brilliant balance between home and work. And that's kept me really grounded. And it means I have no regrets. I look back and think I've kept my job going, but I also gave my family the time they needed. The only thing I might do is just do a bit more study around this topic I've really found exciting now. And I think myself now, I don't think I need to go and do a formal qualification in it, but I'm reading loads of books and I'm really, you know, really interested in learning about around this whole thing around how we can help people be the best version of themselves. That's my passion at the moment now. Absolutely brilliant. It's always a bit of a cheeky question I throw in because ultimately you're happy with where you've got to. So yeah, and most, if not all of the guests so far, have mirrored that. Like perhaps they'd have studied something a little bit differently or yeah or done something different in that element but ultimately you've you've got to where you are and you've learned from the experiences that you've faced yeah and that's something I try and recommend to people is no matter if they find themselves in a career that they're not potentially made for or if it's something that they're trying to change maybe or realize that it's not the the right thing for them not to panic and think oh, I've made my choice and that's it I've got to put up with it for the rest of my life but to use that as a learning experience Absolutely. I was just talking to one of my old colleagues the other day who's in a job that isn't right for her, but she's learning so much. And sometimes when you're in a job that's not right for you, you start to get really clear about what is it Mm. that's important to you? What is right for you? And sometimes we do have to do jobs that we don't like in order to really realize what it is we really want to do and what's so important to us and what are those key motivators and what are those key values that are so important to us. So every bad experience you can turn it on its head and turn into a great learning experience brilliant i'm glad you agree with that one thinking back as well we'll flip that scenario on its head and say 
if that was your biggest challenge, your mindset, yep. what was your proudest moment? Is there any surprising ones that will pop out in the memory? I kind of think career ones, because some of my prouder moments were completing a 120-mile bike ride in a day. Wow. Six months earlier, I'd uh, only ever had a battered old bike and, and went short journeys around the park with the kids. In six months, I trained myself to ride a road bike and joined a riding club, and I cycled from part of team at Mondelez, actually. I did only did one day, but on one day, I cycled from Carlisle to Aintree, and it was 120 miles up via Shap, which is the highest point in the Lake District good effort the whole experience of the training to having achieved it and I think the most amazing thing is because it really taught me that if you set yourself a goal that you think oh my god that's really really tough goal and and I remember when I first agreed to do I I hadn't really realized what I'd signed up to do but when you set yourself a goal you've committed to it and then you work towards it and then the day comes and you have to deliver it the adrenaline just kicks in. And I remember for weeks and weeks afterwards, I was flying. I just felt on a complete high. It really, really taught me that it's worth pushing yourself out of your comfort zone because you ride on that sort of high that you get for a long time afterwards. And you've got lots of great stories to tell people as well. I suppose career-wise, what am I most proud of? Probably being brave enough to take that voluntary redundancy and set up my own business and have no regrets over it. Because people say to me, do you ever regret it? Do you ever miss the corporate world? And I look back and I say, I've got no regrets. I absolutely loved every minute of time I did my job in the corporate world. I've no regrets over leaving, but I've no regrets over all the time I spent there either. I think it, it just was the right time for me to do something different. And I had a lot of people around me who had left the business, the Cadbury business, the Mondelez business, and had been really successful on their own. And they inspired me to give it a go too. So that's probably the biggest achievement in my career is actually just making that break, to break up on my own, follow my dream, and to focus then on the stuff that I really love doing. Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic cycling event. Yeah. I say good effort on that one. I don't know who talked you into that one. It was me. It was, me. It was really weird. You talked yourself into it. <laughs> I think what I've learned over the years, I've done little things like I started off in a 5k run and then a 10k run. And then I remember doing a walking marathon. And that's what it was. It was, well, I thought, if I could walk a marathon, surely, because the bike ride was supposed to be 100 miles, I'm sure if you jump on a bike, I could cycle four times the length of the marathon. That's why I convinced myself it would be Because I thought, brilliant. Thought, you know, I can walk for eight hours in the middle of the night and survive. I can jump on a bike during the day and the bike take does a lot of the work for you. But what I didn't realise was it wasn't 100 miles to 120 and it wasn't flat. It was going to be hilly. But still, I got there. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely great. So if somebody was in the same position then, if they were in either the lucky or, or if they consider it unfortunate because they've lost their job, obviously. Yeah. If they were in that position of redundancy, what kind of tips and advice would you give somebody about if they were kind of thinking about dipping their toe in to give that entrepreneurship or starting their own thing up? Any advice from what you've learned? Well, the first thing I would say, if someone is being made redundant, a different colleague I was talking to a few weeks ago, her role's been made redundant. And one of the first things I said to her is, I firmly believe that when people's roles are made redundant, because it's it's not them, it's their role. Yeah. So, and sometimes people think they start to lose their confidence, and it's but it's not them, it's it's the job. Mm-hmm. Is that it opens up a brand new opportunity? And one of the things I realised when I made the decision to leave, once I made the decision I was going to take my redundancy all of a sudden my energy levels just went sky high. And there is this thing called the change curve and where you can go from being shock and anger and rejection and feeling really, really low. And then as you start to come out of that curve, you start to 
get more energy and you find new meaning. And when I made that decision, that feeling of energy and meaning that I found was incredible. I hadn't had that the whole time I'd been in the corporate world. So I say to people when they're being made redundant, this is an opportunity for you to really, really think about what do you want to do next and what's going to be the next chapter of your life? What's your new beginning? So take a little bit of time to work that out because most people, not everybody, might have a little bit of money to go alongside that to give them a bit of thinking time. So I really encourage people to think outside the box and don't just rush into the first thing that comes up, but to spend a little bit of time working it out. What do they really want to do next? And absolutely, as you say, see it as an opportunity. Yeah. And I know for some people that their families rely on them and it's a big thing being made redundant because you lose the income. So I know it's not right for everybody. If people are thinking about going self-employed and you can't risk having no income, one of the things that I would suggest people look at is finding a way to build the thing they love doing, do it evenings or weekends or even again, I was talking to a colleague the other day who's thinking about ultimately wants to be a yoga, well, she's a, already is a yoga teacher, but wants to have, have her own business where she does mindfulness and yoga and really helps people with their well-being. But she doesn't want to do that full time. And we were talking about, well, should she try and find herself a part time job, you know, an HR job that's part time rather than full time so she can do three days a week doing her HR job. And those jobs do exist out there. And then two days a week building her business. So if you can't afford to completely stop working and start on your own, try and find a way where you can do a mix of both for a while while you get your business started. I think that's brilliant advice. And something that I've spoke about previously is, is exactly that, like perhaps dipping your toe in the water, because you might find that actually you don't really like, <laughs> like what you've created for yourself. Yeah. So you keep yourself familiar in that other role. And then if you find that actually it's really successful and it's still what you really want to do, then you can make that leap. And I think there's some people out there who just say, you've got to leap and just go big or go home or and that kind of mentality. And it's great for some people, but for myself, I'd highly recommend at least, yeah. at least, tr especially if you have financial obligations. Yeah. So just make sure that you're protecting yourself in that way first. I'm sure people at some stage have to make a decision. So, you know, if they're, if they're managing to do both, hold down a job and do their dreams, to start to set up their own business. At some stage, the time comes, you have to make a decision. But hopefully mm. by the time you make the decision, you're making an informed decision. You're, you're absolutely clear it's what you want to do. You already have some clients. You've got some money coming in. And it makes the transition to say, right, but I'm going to stop my corporate job or my page or whatever it is. I'm going to work for an employer anymore and I'm going to focus full time on being self-employed. I think that would make the transition easier. But I'm sure a lot of people do. If they really seriously want their business to flourish, they need to commit to it 100%. And, th and that is the biggest challenge, I think, being self-employed is if you really want it to grow, you have to. It's not just about doing the stuff you love. It's working on growing your business. They call it working on your business as well as working in your business. And all the things you take for granted when you're employed in terms of marketing and IT and accounting and finance, all that kind of stuff, you don't have to do when you're employed, but you need to make time to do that. And marketing is the biggest thing that takes the most time because you've got to go out and find clients. It's very, very hard to be really successful in your own business unless you give it 100% because there's so much that needs to be done. By all means, try it first. <laughs> doesn't have to happen overnight it can be a five-year journey sort of thing absolutely brilliant thank you very much for sharing that so in your space is there any kind of groups of people like associations or, or anyone worth following obviously yourself which we'll kind of give people links to in the show notes so definitely check those out guys 
and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the show but anyone that you found really inspirational in your field that you could suggest people to check out I think I found a lot of people who were similar to me just via LinkedIn. And I used to think that LinkedIn was just for recruitment agencies. And now I've realized it's a massive learning and development tool. My big advice to anyone who doesn't use LinkedIn is to get using it because you meet lots of great people there and you also learn a lot and you can follow all sorts of interesting conversations. I do some associate work for an organization called The Art of Being Brilliant. So look them up. They do some great stuff running workshops on positive psychology. Andy Cope, who runs it, is an author and writes loads of books. So there's, there's loads of stuff to find out from him. So he's definitely worth following. And I'm a member of the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. And I have to say, when I was employed, I didn't use my membership. Now that I'm self-employed, I use it loads. So if you're an HR person and you're not using your membership of the CIPD, start using it because it's a masses of resources, loads of podcasts, lots of tools and tips and check sheets and daily updates on stuff that's going on in the world of HR and people management. And well-being and resilience is a massive topic now. There's always stuff to read around that. So get out there and look beyond what you normally look, read beyond where you normally read and you start to find stuff that's really interesting from people like yourself, really. A lot of people are following their passion and, and they write about the stuff that they're passionate about and you can learn from reading about other people's experiences. I think that's brilliant sound advice and a platform that I really undervalued was LinkedIn myself. Yeah. Exactly the same. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's just for recruiters. Yeah people who are looking to kind of pick up a job somewhere else and kind of advertise themselves. But for me, I don't know whether it's always been the case, but it's really kind of given me that learning experience. I can learn what other people are doing and, yeah. and reaching out to people as well. I, I was always a little bit hesitant about it, but now it's just a natural thing. Like I've seen what other people are saying and I, I dive into their kind of conversation. And I think that as well as I'm quite active in the sense that I'll give my tips and advice on there, but certainly it's a massive resource and have got a question and there is somebody who looks like an expert in the field or works in a certain area that you're interested in don't be afraid to just kind of shoot them a message yeah or comment with a question that something that you've seen because yeah I think it's certainly a place that is very undervalued yeah and, and people do they share videos and articles it's a way of keeping up to date with what are the current trends so if you want to be up to date with what's going on in whatever world you're in connect with people doing similar stuff on LinkedIn and people share essay articles and videos and clips and have conversations and you start to learn. Absolutely brilliant. So over your absolutely fantastic career and your awesome journey, has there been any wise words or words of wisdom that you've kind of kept with you to keep your focus or to get you through harder times perhaps? Yeah, I was thinking about things that have inspired me. There's been a lot of people that have inspired me. And I remember a previous, one of the Mondelez managing directors used to mention a quote that is stuck with me about tough times. And it's a Vivian Green quote, which goes, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And that quote has always stuck with me that life, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be the next challenge. There's always going to be, if you're working in the corporate world, the next change program, the next reorganization. So you can't just stand still. You just, you've got to learn to get on with it. And you've got to learn to adapt to it, learn from it, grow from it. So that's why I love that quote. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. That is an absolute belter. I've never heard that one myself. And thank you for sharing that. I've got a coincidental experience with that. My, I've got a two-year-old at home Yeah. at the time of recording. And I came home from work one day and, and it was belting down with rain. Yeah. 
And my wife said, oh, I've been telling him you're going to go outside with him when you get home. And it was like, <laughs> knocking it down. And instead of like just seeing, he was so excited. And I said, you go out in the rain? And he was like, yeah. So I thought, oh, why not? We chucked our waterproofs on. Yay! It was a bit hazardous with you know, sprinting around the garden and almost bashing into stuff. But he had so much fun and I did as well. And think like that's not necessarily a business way, but it's taking those opportunities and not looking for the silver lining. And no, I, I love that quote. It's a shame we have to grow up really, isn't it? Because if you think about children and how much fun they have jumping in puddles and they don't worry too much what people think of them when you're five, two, three, four, five, or six years old. Yeah. And if we could only keep a little bit of that, of the childlikeness of us into adults, the playfulness and not worrying about things and living for the moment rather than worrying about the future or dwelling on the past. There's something around recognizing that inner child and appreciating that inner child and allowing yourself to be that inner child sometimes. Because as a child, yeah, there's a lot we can learn from children sometimes when you look back. There's a lot you can learn from their approach to things and their approach to challenges. Children get on and do things, they don't, they don't whinge about it. Yeah. And if nothing more, I know more dinosaurs than what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I absolutely agree with that. And I think, like you say, it's having that mentality of, and not necessarily looking at things in the same way. You look at things a bit differently sometimes and take those risks. Yeah. Like you were saying with that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Not necessarily worrying about what other people are thinking. Yeah. And go for it and see what happens. Yeah. And the funny thing about other people, we're all worried about what other people are thinking. But the reality is all everyone's worried about is themselves. People really aren't that bothered. People really aren't bothered about. What John's thinking about what you write on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, we think people are more bothered about us than, than we actually are. We're, we're all far too bothered about ourselves. So it's, it's reminding ourselves of that. To look after yourself first. You're the number one. Look after yourself first and the rest will take care of itself. Absolutely awesome. Thank you for those wise words and something that I'm sure that everyone will be writing down to remember over the, the weeks and months. Thinking about from moving on from the wise words. Yeah. Are there any particular books that you'd recommend to listeners about whether it's an audible book or a book that they should pick up and read if you prefer that medium? I found a book that sort of brings together the two elements of what I'm really, really passionate about. So I'm passionate about leadership and inspiring people managers, because I know that if you've got a great leader or a great manager, you can have a great experience of work. But I'm also really, really positive, passionate about this whole field of positive psychology and what we can learn from people who do spend their lives choosing to be more positive. And there's a new book by Andy Cope is the guru behind the art of being brilliant. And he's written a new book called Leadership, The Multiplier Effect. And that, for me, brings together the stuff that I do around how to be a great leader and a manager with this whole positive psychology lens. So if you are interested, if you are a manager or leader and you're thinking, how can I be a better manager or leader? It's a really easy, fun book that recognizes that, that you know the world in which we live in now is completely full on but there are things that, that we can do as leaders to make the lives of the people that we lead better and I guess the biggest point from that book that I just wanted to share is often you think the role of a leader is to be inspirational and in this book what Andy talks about is the role of the leader isn't to be inspirational the role of the leader is to be inspired themselves because if we feel inspired ourselves that positivity, that creativity, that feeling inspired ripples out of us and affects all the people that we lead. So focus on how to be the best version of yourself. Focus on what it's going to take for you to feel inspired. And if you do that, you become a great leader and a manager and a person that people want to follow because you radiate that positivity and that optimism. 
absolutely awesome that sounds like a great recommendation and certainly one that i'm going to be checking out so thank you for sharing that particular one and i think that's again some sound like kind of tips from that particular piece yeah everyone looks at kind of the leaders having to provide that inspiration but doesn't necessarily have to be the case yeah i love that if you are inspired you inspire others if you think about the kind of people that inspire us it's because they are passionate and enthusiastic and positive that's why they inspire us so go and do that and go and find out what it takes to inspire you and you will become somebody that inspires others absolutely awesome brilliant thank you once again for sharing that we have come to the end of our time unfortunately i know the listeners what i'd like to say that the listeners have enjoyed it as much as i have so thank you very much for spending the time today chatting to me anthea and just leaves me to say where can people find you if they're interested in what you do Yes, so you can find me on on LinkedIn. I hang out there every day. So just search for Anthea Maris. And also you can find my own company website, which is anthiamarisconsulting.com. Absolutely excellent. And for those people who are at the gym or you're driving, don't worry about scribbling this down on your arm or anything like that. It'll all be in the show notes. So just click in there and there'll be a link out to Anthea's website and her LinkedIn profile as well. So just leaves me to say thank you very much, Anthea, for your time today and hope to speak to you soon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Having just listened back to it after editing, I really took so much value away from Anthea's story and the advice that she was able to give. So here are the key takeaways for me for this episode. The first of which is knowing yourself. I think it's so important to know exactly who you are and what it is that you want to do. Quite often others will tell us the kind of person that they think we are or the job that they think that would suit us. But you've really got to know yourself and be brave about the choices that you make because you're the one who's going to live with them, not the people giving you the advice. And that will lead on to the second key takeaway of being the best version of yourself. I think if you're able to be the best version of yourself, then you're going to be so much more passionate and so much more driven compared to somebody who's just in it for the money. Another thing that we've mentioned on previous episodes is that of imposter syndrome and trying to watch out for thinking that you're not good enough. Have that positive mindset of what we said at the start of this episode and don't worry too much about what others are thinking. Have that bit of confidence and do the best possible job that you can. Another key takeaway that Amphia was able to share with us was when she was made redundant, it could have been so easy for her to think, oh, it's me and they're getting rid of me. But as she rightly said, it's the role that's being made redundant and not yourself. If that is the case and you do find yourself in that situation, then take your time to think about what it is that you want to do and how you can potentially reinvent yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope that it's given you something to think about to help you get work savvy. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe or share this episode with anyone you can in any way that you can. I'd love to hear your views and reviews on the podcast app of your choice. And until next week, have that positive mindset and try and work on something to help you get work savvy. Take care and I'll speak to you soon.